Hello, hello. This is Mariah Parsons, and welcome to Learn to Listen. I'm thrilled for our first session to have Father Pete on with us. And for those of you who are not as familiar with our amazing guest, Father Pete is Notre Dame's Director of Campus Ministry, Chaplain of the Notre Dame Basketball Men's Team, and previous Rector of Keough Hall. So welcome, Father Pete, and thank you for being here to chat with me. Thanks a lot, Mariah. It's a real honor. It's a real honor. Yeah, I was elated when you expressed that you'd love to come on the podcast. Um, I think you truly have such a power and influence over the Notre Dame community. And especially, you know, when we're at football games and you come on the screen, everyone cheers for you. Um, And I think that speaks to the magnitude of respect that you hold from students and faculty alike. I would love um, just to know more about what it's like being in this position of leadership and how you kind of handle having so many eyes on you. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that question. And, you know, I, it's one that I, frankly, I ponder the other day, someone asked me like, you know, how did you, how did you uh, plan to kind of get to this particular spot that you find yourself in? And the answer is I didn't. <laughs> um, the answer is, is that, you know, um, I've just, to the best of my ability, tried to treat each person with, with love and respect. Um, and then just do the very best that I can and own the times in which I totally swing and miss. You know, I think that there's an aspect of humanity that we all want to see in our leaders. And so for the times in which I've succeeded, great. But for every moment in which I've succeeded, there have been uh, moments of of failure. And and what I find so beautiful about being here is is the Notre Dame student body. You know, like I see in you all people who are um, so hardworking, but at the same time so compassionate towards one another. And so for me, it's a a natural alignment with – my gifts and, and love of others, and then kind of a, a mutual affection that exists between myself and the student body. So it really is, whenever folks mention the, the cheering in the stadium, which is humbling every time it occurs, I always say, like, if I had a megaphone that could produce as much noise as y'all are able to do, I would equally blast back because it's reciprocal. Well, thank you so much. And as being a student here, <laughs> it goes both ways. Um, and you mentioned times when you've swung and missed. Mm-hmm. How has it been, like, how do you approach... Um, having to have those like difficult conversations and have that moment where you um, reflect on yourself and say like that wasn't the correct response or yeah. um, something of that nature. Yeah. Uh, the, the first, the first thing I would say to that is, is, is you really, um, you can't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> and secondly, you have to have an understanding of uh, the greater mission and, and one's responsibility to, to kind of steward that greater mission. What do I mean by all of that? There's a real temptation at times, I think, in, in leadership to, to make, make the thing that you're doing, the thing that you're leading about yourself. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really serve anyone but the self. Um, so what I'm always trying to do is, is catch myself in those moments um, and ask for forgiveness for the times in which I do operate in such a way. And instead say, all right, how can we more broadly serve this community that we're trying to care for? So to me, that is, and there's some natural um, kind of uh, holes that, that I will oftentimes step into. One, and I think we're encountering it right now. So you, you have this kind of unique semester, right? We're in the midst of a pandemic. There's no fall break. Um, there's, there's times in which we can tend to burn the candle at both ends. And, and so fatigue begins to kick in. And usually where there is fatigue, there are mistakes. Uh, and so I've, I've really had to challenge myself as of late to say, all right, listen, you probably weren't at your best right there. It might not be a bad idea to go and apologize um, and try this thing over. So to me, it's, it really comes down to one is 
realizing that whatever we're trying to lead is bigger than any oneself. Two, it's an honor to be able to steward that, that ministry. And three, for the times in which you make mistakes, you got to go back, apologize, and try to do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that what you said. You know, you, it's, you have to take a step back and be able to reflect that it isn't all about you and your decisions. The more important thing is that we have to see how we can come together as a community. Right. I think that's all what we need right now, especially. Um, as you mentioned, it is chaos right now. Um, <laughs> but that I never lose that optimism that we will be able to get through it and get through it together. Um, and I really want to amplify what you said about the high stress, high pressure situations, sometimes not being able to make the clearest of um, decisions or in the moment, you know, you might be able to step back and have that um, second of realization, oh, perhaps I should have went another way. And I feel mm-hmm. that in my life as well, you know, like trying to be a leader, especially being a senior this year, yeah. um, you're trying to lead others when no one else before us have has done any of this. And it's a different um, duality, I think, when you're a student. So you're trying to relate to your peers, but also be their um, leader and to guide them throughout it all. So I know myself, I struggle with how can I be relatable, but then also have that um, respect and somewhat of a different dynamic. And I think you would relate to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying, you know, with like, relating to the student body, but then also being a mentor um, to others. And with that, I want to ask if you're comfortable with sharing, what was um, maybe a specific moment where you might have doubted yourself? Mm-hmm. And then how did that catalyze um, what you had to do to change or how you ra- bounce back from struggles? So a little bit uh, about myself, and I'm glad to speak about this because I think it's really important. One of the parts about me being me, and I'm the oldest of six, and I've always, um, I've always been the one who kind of like picks up the pieces and goes. Like this is what I think, kind of the the, the responsibility laden oldest child yes. oftentimes <laughs> looks like here. Um, but what I what I've often been uh, haunted with almost the entirety of my life has been this sense of what I have to offer isn't enough. So it's this this constant pervading feeling of. Um, you know, this is, I suppose, good enough, but it's not really enough. So then how does a leader um, ultimately kind of navigate that, that feeling? And so oftentimes where, where I run into challenges is, is that we, we recognize a problem that is arising or a need that needs tending to. And um, my disposition can at times uh, be, well, what do I really have to offer here? Whereas um, when I'm at my best, I, I realize that, frankly, this has never been about Pete McCormick. This has always been about what God is trying to do through Pete McCormick. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, Pete, get out of the way. <laughs> um, and and that that really is the freeing aspect. You know, just yesterday, um, the readings from Mass, St. Paul starts this beautiful line from the Philipp, from his letter to the Philippians, and he says, have no anxiety at all. And I think for the modern listener, you're like, whatever, St. Paul. <laughs> yeah. But then we do some digging into his life. It was not exactly easy. Uh-huh. I mean, he gets imprisoned. He's ridiculed. He was likely uh, martyred for the faith. So, okay, maybe he had some challenges <laughs> and some reasons to be anxious. So what is it that St. Paul knew that we didn't or don't always? And it, it was exactly this. It's St. Paul realized that it's better to spend your time in, in prayer and petition and trust in what God is trying to do as opposed to um, just kind of thinking about it all being yourself. So 
this is a long way of saying that I think my 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 foible of many we could go this would be a very long podcast if we got into that <laughs> please um, do <laughs> <laughs> but is is this sense of um, an utter reliance on myself when the reality is this has never been about kind of like me being the solve all to all but in fact me in a vulnerable way demonstrating my humanity by leading and offering what I can with the belief that God will provide the rest I love that yeah and it's I really appreciate you mentioning, um, you know, like being one of six and thinking that you are whatever you have to offer isn't enough because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want to just give and give and give and have their solution be enough mm -hmm. because as humans, I think we all just want to be happy in That's general, right? right? right. <laughs> um, basic psychology and make others uh, feel loved as we want to feel loved. Um, and especially with that vulnerability aspect i think previously with society and why there's a stigma around mental health and supporting others through struggles yeah. has been because we want to portray perfection mm. as confidence and courage and leadership and i've learned through my own self-reflection of course that you kind of have to spin that and do a 180 and admit your vulnerabilities and times when you've doubted your own self and say, these are my mm -hmm. weaknesses and these are my strengths. You know, right. like it, there's a balance between the two. I think that's so crucial to highlight for others um, because myself, I know on my own journey, it hasn't been easy to admit when I'm wrong or when I was dealing with something and to reach out a helping hand to receive support, especially when people weren't trying to dig it out of me. You know, mm -hmm. like having your own... Um, intuition and knowing yourself enough to be able to say to someone, I need your help. Mm. How can you support me? Mm -hmm. And myself, I felt that whenever I would do that, I would be a burden mm -hmm. for other people. And I think with religion as well, you seek out through your spirituality, being right. able to have someone and to get support. Um, and that's why it's so valuable. But when, you know, you're going through life and you don't want to admit that it, it's kind of like you build your own barriers, which is, I think, the toughest thing to knock down because you're telling yourself, you know, you should be able to do this. Why can't I do it? Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole um, almost like self-internal uh, guilt trip that you almost create. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering when you find yourself in any moments of struggling, what do you do to kind of take a step back and um, like take care of yourself? Yeah. Uh, I've been blessed with some very good friends. Huh, yeah. uh, I've been blessed with a with a beautiful family mm. that I'm able to to rely upon. You know, um, so it, it depends. But some of the things that I enjoy doing that just ground me, frankly, is is I have I have two nieces and a nephew who really don't care what Uncle Pete does <laughs> yeah. at work. Kids are great that way, right? Like <laughs> they don't give two squirts. Yeah, <laughs> they just want to know that I'll kick the ball back when they kick it to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so really that that's very grounding. My family's grounding. And I've got I've got key people that I will I will talk to on the phone or in person and, and kind of run by mm -hmm. these situations. I'm struggling with this. And then they will typically say, Well, Pete, just like you struggled with something similar in the past, what did you do to un kind of fix it uh -huh. or unpack it? And that that's been very helpful. So what I found is you, you gotta in, in the midst of all of this. You need people who can ground you back in the truth. Mm -hmm. 
And then you need to be able to have trusted conversation partners to kind of deal with the complexities of life because none of us get through life unscathed on this one. We all are going to run into complicated scenarios. And then it's a matter of having, having guides who have either been there, who are willing to walk alongside of us, who can kind of help us uh, along the path. Yeah, I think that support system that you have is so integral. Um, luckily, myself as well. My friends and my family exactly. are my uh, core, you know, like I rely on them to be my stabilizing factor when anything else <laughs> seems to not be going um, the way I envisioned it. And I wonder what you would say to what would be some other things for those who around us haven't found their friends or their family who can be supportive yep. um, no matter what, and that you have without a doubt anyone who can support you and walk through, you know, as you said, be honest with you and um, have your back. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I think it's, I think it is a matter um, in those instances of a couple things. One is to be patient, mm-hmm. to be patient with yourself and with the process of, of forming relationships. But the other piece I would say is, is, don't be afraid to take some risks when it comes okay. to bringing up what would otherwise be seen as kind of uncomfortable topics. Mm-hmm. All too often, you know, and, and it goes back, Mariah, to a point you made earlier, right? That we want to be perceived as perfect. Yes. So yeah. at some point, <laughs> you're going to have to let the guard down and say, oh, by the way, BT dubs, it's not exactly <laughs> as it appears. Um, and, but I think that that, that that initial step, that risk taking, it's not always going to be returned. Mm-hmm. There are going to be people who are like, no, not interested or don't even have the time. But I, I have found um, that more often than not, there's a generous spirit that responds mm-hmm. because we as human beings innately understand that suffering in another is not ideal or optimal and we want to be able to assist. So I would say to folks who even think to themselves, I don't know that I have that kind of network. Um, you may not have it in the way that I have it or you have it at present, um, but yet a step you could take is is to be willing to be vulnerable and risk what you're going through to share with another person. And and I would say that more often than not, mm-hmm. um, there's there's a tender heart and a and a willing soul on the other end. Yes. Yeah. And I think this speaks volumes as well. Um, just to my overall temperament, I know is always optimistic. I will see the good in people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. almost to a fault, of course. <laughs> I'm aware of that as well. <laughs> um, but I I do get concerned and I have an overall concern for, you know, fellow peers or people that I know who might not have that same approach to life mm-hmm. where they assume the best in people. And I think right now it becomes um, more prevalent and I'm seeing more personally, just more people who are doubting overall systems and their own personal um, relationships. Yeah. So what would you say to people who might have, somewhere along that way, lost that hope or had never had it with um, being able to be patient with others? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think you got your fingers on the pulse of something really important culturally, Mariah. Um, let's let's put it somewhere nice and close to home for yes, me as a Catholic yeah. <laughs> priest, right? So you think about the clergy abuse crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this institution that is the Catholic Church um, that has has failed on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. And not only has it failed, um, but it has failed for an extended period of time. So if I were not a Catholic priest, yeah. <laughs> and if I were kind of looking at the institution of the church, I may have a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And frankly, one of the reasons that I'm bringing this topic up is that because as a priest, I think it's my responsibility to name it 
to actually give people in my kind of like natural environs the freedom to speak about it. Because oftentimes it's like, well, I don't want to offend Father or so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Like, I care about the beauty of the Catholic Church. I do not um, support or encourage those who are not working towards her end mm-hmm. to accomplish what I believe the church can accomplish. Um, and so I think it's important for us um, as people who might be disenfranchised with the way we see the world to realize that humanity's always been a mixture of sin and grace. There's no getting yes, around that. Yeah. <laughs> we, as, as much as I would love to believe that um, we're going to run perfect organizations, th- the truth is that's not going to occur. But can we strive for that? Can we pick ourselves up, hold people accountable, and continue to work towards the ideals? I think that's important. Mm-hmm. So I would say to folks who are struggling with the hope, one, I'll give you, um, I, w- I would say that there's a, there are legitimate reasons for why that is the case, and I would never try to dissuade you of them. But at the same time, I would challenge uh, men and women who are in that position to say, okay, what is one proactive step I can take towards remedying some of these situations be- with the belief that if the challenges we face can be overcome, there's something truly beautiful possible, mm-hmm, you know? Sure. And so in my mind, that's, that's the reason I continue. It's not to like hide behind the institution or maintain that it's perfect. It's not. Um, but at the same time, I believe that there's something good here and that it's worth working towards. I love that so much. And thank you for bringing that up as well. And just acknowledging that there are, like you said, good and bad things to everything, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a yin yang balance. But I, right, I use right. that reference a ton. <laughs> um, <laughs> But really to bring up um, being able to see the good and work towards the good and against the evil. And I think that's inspiring to see someone in a leadership position who acknowledges like, yes, I'm not trying to hide behind any of these screens, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But you are saying like you are giving power to the argument because you realize there is issues and you are working for the betterment of right. the church and our community as a whole. Right on. Um, and I respect you so much as well, just as a human and a member of our church for being able to say so, because unfortunately I do believe that that sometimes happens. And I think it's based in fear mm-hmm. where, and this goes to back, uh, goes back to what we were discussing about earlier about not wanting to admit when things are wrong because society puts a lot of pressure on us to be perfect right. and to have the solution to everything. When I think it's fair to say a lot of people <laughs> don't, <laughs> um, And thank you so much for bringing that up. And I'm just curious, how did you find, you know, we can go into as like far into the past as we want, but your own discernment and knowing yourself in becoming a member of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, for me, the, the crazy part of that story is, is that it started when I was a sophomore in high school Mm -hmm. and it was the the gift that I did not want. (laughs) I, uh, you know, I I thought about it and I was like, man, this is not what I have envisioned for myself. And so I'll pass. Thank Uh you. Um, and then I just kind of went on with life, frankly. Uh, but I got to the back end of college, and I'm still unsatisfied with what I was discerning. I was a biology major. I was thinking either pre-professional yeah. <laughs> or I was thinking like um, being a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. But the crazy thing about it was I could never find peace. And so I was out on this bike ride and uh, a pedal, not motor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't want anyone envisioning me on a Harley, yeah. <laughs> although that'd be pretty cool. I just don't yeah. have one. Um and, uh, and I had this moment where I was like, holy cow, the one thing that I have not done anything to explore is, is probably the one thing I should. So uh-huh. I, I applied to the seminary and, um, 
And I didn't really know. I had a friend of mine down at Notre Dame. So that's why I applied to the Congregation of Holy Cross. I didn't do a ton, a ton of research. (laughs) Um, So I came down and I was like, whoa, okay. So then I took it a a year at a time. And there are multiple times in the seminary where I I kind of struggled with what I wanted, what versus what I felt God was calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, I got assigned to a parish in the, in the middle of my seminary years out in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, it was a parish run by the Congregation of Holy Cross. And I uh, went out there and I just fell in love with those people. I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the priesthood. And so then I came back mm-hmm. and, and then it was my last year in the seminary and I just ripped right through it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at that point in time, you know, I'd been discerning since a sophomore year in high school. It was, it felt good to finally be like, okay, yeah, check. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm good to go. Let's do this thing. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, that you bring that up because myself very like, um, recently I've only found really that like passion and the thing that just kind of clicked and fell into place. Yes. And you always hear about it, you know, from family or friends, you're like, no, you'll just know. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like I was like, I want to be able to say like, uh-huh. I want the answers. Right. Yeah. And of course, my loving mother would always be like, you just have to wait. And it forced me to be patient, of course. Um, and in the same way that, you know, you always kind of had like this inkling um, or this itch to discover something within yourself that you wanted to pursue. It was also myself where I was in high school. I was like, okay, I like really love human connection and understanding other people and whatnot, but where can I take this? You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I'll just pursue it through my own relationships and then I'll be enough. And this past summer, especially, um, I have found that passion in myself for advocacy for mental health. And that's why, you know, I'm here sitting with you today, (laughs) um, (laughs) having this wonderful discussion. Um, and I think it's really interesting. You mentioned through your own, um, discernment, how you had those aspects where you doubted what you wanted to do versus what you believed God wanted you to do. And I was hoping that you could dig a little bit deeper into that and just share with me um, what it was like going through that process. Yeah, it was, it was hard. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I had, I had very kind of clear hopes. Um, I wanted to get married. I wanted kids. I wanted, um, I wanted a truck. That was okay. also a really important part of the, of uh-huh. the story. Um, but the, uh, and I, I also wanted to, to coach basketball. Like that mm-hmm. was an area that was really, so there were like clear, clear wants. And for me, the, the priesthood, um, it just it just was was kind of flat by comparison. Uh-huh. I had um, I could I could envision what it would look like to be married. I lived in a household of a mom and dad. I I could envision what it meant to be a basketball coach. I could certainly envision what it meant to have a truck. Um, <laughs> those were all very tangible expressions. But yet the priesthood, I didn't know it was like saying I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. I, I sure space is great, but I, I the pictures are also just fine. Yeah. Um, but then I. You know what? What the beauty of it is, and the thing that I learned over time was that you, you just kind of got to trust because, right? I could not have, I could not have imagined um, what what God had in store for me. I mm-hmm. didn't. I couldn't. Yeah. Like the joy that I have found by being a priest, the experiences I've had, the people I've met, um, the 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 days that I get to live as a result of this vocation. I, not to say that the other way wouldn't have brought about great joy, mm-hmm. but this is this is my path. Yeah. And and I would say that oftentimes in those moments of doubt or uncertainty, but if you if you have this instinct, the, the best advice I can offer is make the jump. Make the okay. jump. I love that. Because all too often people try to like straddle the fence a little bit 
They try to play it safe, uh-huh. and they try to like make sure that they can jump back and forth to both sides, depending on which way the wind is blowing. But I would say to you, just make the jump, deal with the situation as it is, mm-hmm. and if it's bad, then then you can figure out something else. Yeah. Like to me, I'm I, I, more and more. I've just found that you are better off in life committing yourself fully to something than to trying it halfway, because you'll just never be satisfied. You'll never actually be able to explore the depth of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important um, to highlight, really. I think to like going all the way fully being immersed in whatever path you choose um, and really finding your own pathway within that uncertain (laughs) um, pathway, especially when you perhaps don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I'm wondering, was there anyone ever who was a mentor and guided you along that path and gave you the same advice, um, just saying, you know, you just have to try it out. It's one of those things that you have to experience for yourself. Um, and cause I do think it, and this could play into the support system as well, yep. having people who are along with you, um, and hold your hand and support, you know, no matter what, but I'm curious because in my own life, I've heard stories of some, and they could be strangers or best friends mm-hmm. and they've really inspired me to just fully commit in my own life. Yep. Um, so I'm curious, was there anyone in your life that played a crucial role? Um, and was it subject kind of to where you were in your life? Mm-hmm. I would say that there's kind of two groupings of people. First is, you know, shout out to my parents. Mm-hmm. They they listened a lot, especially my mom. You know, yeah. for a while there, I would like late at night, you know, when you're the oldest of six and you're living in a relatively small house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only only space that you have to privately talk with your parents is usually in their bedroom. Uh-huh. So we would have these kind of like late night bedroom chats and where I would be like all over the place. and like, this is what I feel called to do. And so mad props to my parents um, because they probably lost a lot of sleep yeah. while I was just <laughs> yammering. Um, yes. But then secondly, it was uh, my godfather, my uncle Bill. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he, he just played a pivotal role in my life. And I'm um, still to this day, I'll call and say, hey, Uncle B, what, do you, what are you thinking about this? And uh, he's always, you know, he's, he's got this incredible insight and wisdom. He was a, was a high school dropout, got his GED, and then went on to ultimately establish a business that's, you know, uh, multi-million dollars and and, oh, wow. and like yeah. he he has this ability just to kind of like through hard work perseverance mm-hmm. to really kind of see what needs to be done and so I, I'm forever grateful for him but he would oftentimes say like and I think his greatest gift is is he can he can see into the future um, he can anticipate trends in a way that very few people can mm-hmm. um, and he uh, he was just like Pete you're gonna you can't see it right now, but you're going to end up doing things that the rest of our family has never had the opportunity to do. And he says, I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know how that plays out, but but you just have to kind of trust this one and ride it out. And so he would always give me reassurance in terms of like moments in which I was doubting or wanted to kind of go back to something that felt a little bit more secure. His his advice was always like, no, 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 keep pushing, keep uh-huh. pushing. There's 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 an end coming, and we yeah, just don't know what it's going to look like. Right? Yep, yep, it's coming, and, yeah. and you'll be fine. And was credit. He was always right. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely is so um, crucial to have someone who kind of has faith in you when you might lose it yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what also worries me about people who don't believe they've found their support c- system or maybe can't even see it for themselves, but there are people there for them. Because myself, when I'm having those moments and I'm unsure of what to do, whether that's um, within my own personal life or professionally or leading other people or just my own relationships, I definitely fall back on others. And there's this weird um, 
thing that happens where I almost want those who are in my closest circle to know me better than I know myself mm-hmm. and to be able to mm-hmm. say like, this is what you should and would love to do, you know? And there's something so special yes. um, when that happens. Yes. And um, it just like makes your day and makes your heart happier. Like this person knows me so well that they are able to give me perfect advice. Yes. Um, and myself, I have definitely <laughs> found those people and I'm so happy that I have, but it's been a process of being able to say to myself, like, oh, they know me so well. Like, they don't have a doubt in me mm-hmm. with whatever struggle I'm facing. And so to kind of turn that in on myself, I'm like, I need to work better to be able to see that in my own self-perception mm-hmm. and to, you know, take their confidence and use it in my own life. Yes. And it's so interesting, um, especially having just this I would say probably past year being way more welcoming to being vulnerable and being open about pretty much every aspect of my life Um, (laughs) and why I wanted to start this platform as well, because I want to encourage other people to do so. Um, And you really set like such a precedent to be able to do that. And I think some of it comes from having a welcoming environment. You know, I always try and extend a hand to anyone saying like, if you ever need anyone, I am a listening ear. I am there for you. I won't judge. Um, and I think that also plays so beautifully into spirituality and what you all do, because especially coming from Notre Dame, we know that these leaders and these mentors will always be there for us to not judge us and whatnot. Um, but I'm wondering if there's ever a moment when someone, you know, kind of conflicted with any of your beliefs and made you doubt yourself and then how you went about having that hard discussion. Yeah. Wow. Um, there have been people along the way that have been, have been great conversation partners mm-hmm. with me. Um, what, what I, what I have learned over, over the arc and, and Mariah, I love, I loved your insight earlier about the temptation we have as human beings is to categorize or said less politically judge, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Um, but yet the, the art of a good listener in my estimation is the ability to take the facts as the other person sees them and to really to the degree possible walk a mile in their shoes. For sure, yeah. To feel that, to see how they're seeing it um, and then to begin to kind of work from that particular starting point. And so what I what I have gotten better at over the years, there have been times in which I'm like, I just don't know why that person doesn't yes. see it as I see it. <laughs> For sure. And if the only they could do that, then everything would be fine. Uh-huh. Well, bad news. There's mm-hmm. other people here and they got different opinions. Um, but as I've gotten older and maybe a little bit wiser in this, um, I've learned that like the first thing to do is just to say, hey, why don't you walk me through this whole thing? And if I can mm-hmm. set a tone of respect, then yes. we can disagree. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not looking to throw anyone under the bus. I'm not looking to, um, you know, kind of make myself come across as the kind of intellectual superior here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more a matter of two individuals having a conversation. And so, but earlier on, I think, especially when I took this role, I felt that on some level I needed all the answers uh-huh. coming into the conversation. I needed to be right every time. Yes. And that was stressful. I would mm-hmm. not recommend that to anyone. Yeah, and part of it is trying to prove yourself. Yes! You know, you're like new in this role exactly. and you're like, I have to show up. You exactly. Know? <laughs> like, oh gosh, at some point they're going to figure out they really shouldn't have put him in that role. Mm-hmm. And so you got to come ready to go. And, and what you realize is you get a little more established is like actually what you get paid to do is to listen, mm-hmm. to learn, and to make the best decision you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's so important with 
especially like empowering through empathy is a phrase I've loved to use. Yes. <laughs> um, and just being able to take that step back and say like, you're able like speak before I do because I want to understand you right better. On. And I feel that just, it has such a nurturing and welcoming environment instead yep. of, I think sometimes people can jump to um, having a malicious intent when you want to have their vul- vulnerabilities because sometimes people do use vulnerabilities and fears to yep. get ahead or to ta- attack others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned, you know, I have to switch my own perception of vulnerabilities and to be able to extend that hand and say, look, like, I don't know the right answer. I'm I'm not perfect. I will admit mm-hmm. this, but I want to work with you to yeah. get a solution. Yep. And I found that when I kind of take that approach with other people, they're way more receptive Absolutely. to my message. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it really, then you get into like the beautiful discussion of things when you both understand there isn't this intent of misusing your understanding of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine as well, because there's a tricky... Um, relationship between having church and a school and being a leader in both of those. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And I can imagine when there are people, especially bosses or not even bosses, but people who you might see as mentors and whatnot um, could possibly disagree with Mm -hmm. some of your beliefs and concerns. And I think that's really hard, especially being um, on the younger side myself. Mm -hmm. How do you go about, navigating having discussions while maintaining that respect especially or if you're not receiving respect from the person you are having those uh, conversations with right i'll start out with kind of a a particular response which is to say i don't think it's a true conversation unless there's respect Mm -hmm. so if if you begin to sense that there's disrespect then you almost got to like take the conversation put it on the shelf and say (laughs) let's talk about the respect piece first Uh uh-huh because if not, we're just going to talk right past each other. For sure. But like, if we assume that there's respect, then then this comes down to the nature of the organization, right? So like, let's say if it's a Notre Dame, there's there's a few core principles that we're going to maintain, um, and then then it's a matter of working towards those. The thing that I've had to learn as as a director of campus ministry, or generally as a leader on this yes, campus, yeah. is there may be multiple pathways to that mm-hmm. particular end, um, both of which can accomplish good. Uh-huh. And so sometimes this goes back to the earlier point. It isn't about me. It's not about my ego. Yes, it's okay. not about like, oh, Pete came up with that idea. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. Um, this is about, hey, listen, we had a good, respectful, meaningful conversation. We disagreed. and we, But at the end of the day, we settled on this particular path to accomplish this particular goal. Mm-hmm. I love that, you know, swinging it back around to it isn't about me because it can um, seem overwhelming. And I think that's also how we can take out that piece of having to be perfect and having to have all the solutions Mm -hmm. in saying like, this isn't about me, but the betterment for community or organization, whatever you're working towards and having that own self-awareness to then better the relationship that you have with someone else. Um, And I'm curious as to if there was something you could say, or if you could reflect on your own core values that have helped you kind of, um, sustain your own beliefs and really to like help portray those to other people as well. Yep. You know, I, Mariah, I have the benefit now of being in my forties, which I know sounds old. Oh, um, you'll get here. <laughs> you'll get there faster than you realize. I assure you. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I found that my twenties and my thirties 
were a period of time of really kind of exploring what my what my values were. Mm-hmm. And and you know, like for me, I, I get ordained when I was 29. I, I turned 30 10 days later. So like all of a sudden, I'm a brand new priest as a 30 uh-huh. year old, and trying to figure out. And that's a big shift going from a seminarian to for a priest. Sure, yes. <laughs> and then you know, in my first 10 years, you know, I go from being the rector of Keogh Hall to going back and getting a master's of business administration, and then. Uh, being assigned to serve as the director of campus ministry. And that all mm-hmm. happens in my 30s. Yeah. And so there there was just seismic changes uh-huh. that were occurring. And and you almost need to kind of level out. So this this April will be 14 years ordained a priest. Mm-hmm. And um and so to me, I feel like I'm finally hitting my stride, that I have a sense of who I am as a priest. Um and and furthermore, I have kind of enough enough failures, if I'm perfectly yeah. honest with you. <laughs> Please do, yeah. <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest with you. To say, um, okay, I, I know a little bit more about what I want to do, mm-hmm. and a little, and a little more about who I don't want to be. Yes, that's um, wonderful. I so, love that. so I would say to you, like that this kind of process of discovering oneself. As much as I'd love to say, like, hey, you know, just go get a self help book in the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. <laughs> it will not work that way. Um, but what I, one of the the values that I hold and have been able to better articulate, are, are twofold. Um, the first is is curiosity. I just mm-hmm. tend to be really curious. Yeah. I want to know how things work. I, I'm very interested in people. I want to hear their stories. I want to know what they're up to. I want to know what they care about. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I really am genuinely interested in like the things they're interested in. Like the, the one of my greatest joys is like finding that thing and then just watching people go uh-huh. and letting them talk, talk, talk. Even if it's stuff I don't care about. <laughs> You're just like, this is so amazing. <laughs> I just love the fact that someone out there cares about this. Yeah. Did you know that there are people out there who collect vintage buttons? I had a I conversation no last week <laughs> on this. Vintage buttons. You can go on eBay right now, ladies and gentlemen. There's some person out there selling egg-shaped vintage buttons for like oh. $370 and for yes. seven of them. Wow. <laughs> I would not pay that. But hey, there are people out there who really care about these things. Yes. Anyways, I digress. One, no, I love curiosity. <laughs> I love, I love like seeing what people love. And the second thing is, is, you know, one of the benefits of, of kind of doing the internal work and, and growing and, and both kind of successes and failures is that I have a better sense of who I am. And one of the things that is probably one of my greatest attributes is I've got a, I got a big heart. I just mm-hmm. care deeply about people. And for a while there, I thought to myself, well, I don't know that I want to lead with that. That's not the most masculine way of doing things. Uh-huh. Usually guys lead with their brains of and their course, analytical yeah. power. <laughs> I'm like, ah, sorry, that's not what the Lord yeah. gave me. I can barely do basic addition. Um, <laughs> so I better lead with what I got. So uh-huh. like, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to swamp them with my heart. And then if... Uh, if they want the the facts, they can go to someone else. Like, well, I'll, I'll support you in saying it's worked this far. So, <laughs> so I would say those two things. Those that's a long way of answering your question. But it, mm-hmm. the '30s were a period of time in which I really explored myself, successes and failures. Into my '40s, what I'm realizing is I just have a, a real curiosity in people, and I have a, a, just a, a genuine love of them. So mm-hmm. I just try to like set myself up to be successful in those two areas. I think that's one of the strongest things you can have, honestly, is a big heart. Right. <laughs> you know, you say like it is <laughs> what society gave me and perhaps not the most masculine thing, if you want to call it that. Right. But I think there's such a transition that's happening that now people are saying, no, like it shouldn't matter either right. way. Like heart is heart. And right. if you can lead with that, I think that's such a strength. Right. Um, and I'm the same way, you know, like, <laughs> I like to think that's one of my I sense attributes. That about you. Yeah. <laughs> heart well, heart. Yes. Yeah. Um, and being able to truly foster, like have amazing, beautiful relationships with people and understand 
And I would have to assume that you got a lot of great experiences by being a rector yeah, in sure. Keo um, and really working with students um, in such a close environment and being in a dorm, especially, you know, that is your home for right. most people three years, you know, yep. um, different from other universities as well. A right lot on. of us resonate with our um, dorms that were assigned uh, our first year. And I have to believe that that is how your big heart really did show because um, through your actions, like you aren't just saying this, you know, you're there mm -hmm. to support the students and right. to be there. Um, and I'm wondering if there was any times um, where you supported students and how, or like any that come to mind and how you were able to help someone who was struggling. Like what would you, if you could sp speak into the heart of any student who was struggling, what would you say? Man, you're not alone. Yeah. I would really, I would, I would mm -hmm. start there and end there. Yeah. Uh, all too often when students are struggling, they really feel as if I'm a burden. Um, no one will understand um, th that kind of logic. Yes. And, um, and, and the danger of that is, is that uh, it, it leads to a very dark place. Mm -hmm. and, and what I would say is, is like Notre Dame is a place that is like loaded down with, with folks who really <laughs> genuinely want to help. Yes. Yeah. Whether it be our students, staff, faculty. I mean, quick story. I, I, as an aside, you know, I, went to a place called Grand Valley State University for mm -hmm. undergrad and Grand Valley was great. I got a great education. They prepared me, but never once did a professor invite me to his home or mm -hmm. her home for dinner. So it's my first year in the seminary. It's right around Thanksgiving time. And professor Larry Cunningham, a retired professor in the uh -huh. theology department, literally says, and I almost fell out of my chair. He's <laughs> like, um, now if none of you or if any of you are looking for a place for Thanksgiving dinner, you can come to my home. And at that uh -huh. point, I'm like, did he just, you're like, really? Did he just invite the entire class <laughs> to his house? And, um, like, like, was that a joke? I mean, not, like, is he punking us? Like, is uh -huh. there something going to happen here? And, um, but like, th that's the nature of this place. It's so caring. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but, but I would just say, you're not alone because at the, in those moments of difficulty, it's really hard, um, to see the resources that are there because your world gets really small. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, and I think half of it is based in fear or not even half, but some of it yep. um, saying that, you know, you don't want to burden someone else, right? right? Like those you love, you don't want to make their day worse because exactly. you're bringing in your own issues. Right on. Right. Yep. And especially for me, that was a huge part in realizing like it isn't burdening them. It's welcoming them into the conversation and saying like, this can be an opportunity for you to learn more about me and to help me along the way. Right. Um, because I do think, and when I have reached out to people and been vulnerable, they'll usually the response is, I had no clue, or they're like, I knew, but I didn't know how to approach you about it. Exactly. Right? And so they're like, I'm so happy you finally brought this up because, you know, maybe I was feeling the same way or I've gone through the same things or known someone who has. And I always find they have such a unique or different perspective mm -hmm. than I would have, of course. And that's because they walk in different shoes. Um, and it's really important to stress you are not alone. And that's, of course, ultimately the mission, right, is right. to unify and to tell anyone, everyone that we can reach um, that you are not alone in your struggles. They might be unique specifically to you, but there are people out there who can empathize with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm a true believer that everyone has their own struggles. Um, and no matter the magnitude, someone along the way will be able to be comforting. Um, and I love what you said is that it can't be said enough, you know, like yeah. it needs to be emphasized more times um, than it can, because frankly, I think we have to make up for a lack of not saying, <laughs> right. um, 
that you have other people no matter where you go, even if they're um, on campus, students, faculty, outside of campus, your family, your friends, Mm -hmm. even a stranger, you know, like they can do the smallest of things. It's what we're taught in preschool, like a smile, you know, could help someone stay just tremendously. Um, And I think that's so important why I'm so happy as well that um, you said that because I think students, especially hearing that coming from anyone, but especially from you, Mm -hmm. it'll truly resonate with them. Yeah, well, thanks. I, <laughs> if we can make a difference in, in just one life, you think about, to your point earlier, right? If you can just say hello, um, hold the door, smile. These are pretty simple things, mm-hmm. but smiling is a little bit more challenging without with the mask yes. on these days. Yeah, but I smile I smile. Yes, yes yeah. I smile. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's such an important point. Uh-huh. Yes, and thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and being our first guest. Um, yes, yeah. uh, you're such a beloved member of the community, and it's honestly been amazing just to get to know your story a little bit more and um, to be vulnerable and to have these conversations and hopefully inspire others because this is what you know it's all about, right, uh-huh. is learning to listen and listening to others. Um, so thank you again, and it was truly an honor. <laughs> My pleasure. Seriously, it's it's an honor not only to be invited but to be the first. Holy cow! I'm yeah, talk, right? I'm, putting this, I'm putting this on a resume. <laughs> Please, come <do>. on. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Till next week, everyone.